0: Hello, hello, welcome to session 147 of Selling the Couch. Thank you so much for taking the time to to tune into today's episode. So I'm actually gonna get right to today's episode because this is such an important topic and the topic is just staying HIPAA compliant when we talk and when we communicate with clients over our cell phones. My guest is Dr. David Craig. David is from Spruce, which uh, if you guys have followed me on the email list, I've mentioned them as a resource for HIPAA-compliant communication with clients. And so what we're actually talking about is just some of the things to Think about when it comes to specifically about cell phones, whether it's sending text messages or storing contact information on cell phones. You know, what can you do that? If so, what's the right way? All of that kind of stuff. You know, the crazy thing with these episodes is some of these topics. I'm like, you know, when I see hip hop, like, oh no, I hope I don't make this a snooze fest. But it's not, and it's actually just such a great wealth of information. It was actually guided by a conversation or a blog posts that David had created with regard to just cell phone usage. And I'll link to that here in the show notes, which you can find at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 147. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, This is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and... I call him Dave Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest and honestly Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know and with sponsors you guys know I'm I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with and Dave when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people I just I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists. And his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told, it impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that. And he comes from just a very heart centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download, and it's called The 7 Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turningpointhq. And that guide has a lot of the things that, that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides but we'll get right to it. So here's my conversation with Dr. David Craig from sprucehealth.com. Hey, David, welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Hey, Melvin, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's good to connect with you again. I feel like this topic is just so broad. And so part of the struggle has been, how do you keep this to 25 minutes? But I feel like I am looking forward to our conversation because this idea of staying HIPAA compliant, especially in how we're using our cell phones, and especially with smartphones and all of these things. So I just feel like I'm looking forward to our conversation, just grateful that you've taken the time to share your wisdom with us. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, HIPAA can be a real rabbit hole. And uh, it's been interesting getting to learn more about it over the last three or four years now. And I'm absolutely happy to talk about it to whoever wants to know.
0: <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So I remember when, you know, we had actually previously chatted and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about this episode. And you were like, you know, we should probably just start with some like kind of big picture things about you know, phone calls and contacting clients via the phone and all that stuff, just to like make sure we're all on the same page. I was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So let's start there, you know, really broad. So guide us through some kind of like the the key kind of things to consider in phone conversations with clients.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you, if you step back and look at what HIPAA applies to, it's important to understand it's a federal law that is promulgated as federal regulation by the Department of Health and Human Services. So if I refer to HHS, that's the department that I'm talking about. They're the major federal department in the executive branch that's administering all of this. And so everyone's familiar now with HIPAA in general, but figuring out what it really applies to is probably the first important step. So they have this notion of covered entities. It's actually a little bit more complex than people think. You have to be interacting in certain types of electronic transactions. It's quite specific. If you think HIPAA may not apply to you, the HHS.gov website can give you some guidance on that. I find that for most medical practitioners and therapists are certainly included in here. It's uh, smartest just to assume that you're a covered entity and that HIPAA is going to apply to you. So that's step one is making sure that the regulation is actually something you need to pay attention Attention to I think we advise certainly all our clients at Spruce that it's it's best to assume that it's going to apply to you, yeah. and then uh, two is. Is looking at what HIPAA covers. So most people have heard of PHI, protected health information at this point, and understanding what that is. It's the easiest, broadest way is to say anything that's individually identifiable health information. So something that relates to a person's past, present, future health status and has identifiers that can trace it back to them. And then there are different parts of the law. The two major parts that people should be aware of are the privacy rule, which is what HHS calls the and they have names for the different sections and the security rule the privacy rule generally covers all PHI, whether it's written or electronic or, you know, really any form that it's in. And that has the broad principles of HIPAA, things like the principle of the minimum necessary, which is the idea that anytime you're discussing something with someone or sending PHI somewhere, it should be the minimum necessary to do the job. It has many different principles like that. And then there's the HIPAA security rule. Now, that one covers just electronic PHI in particular. And there's a pretty specific definition of that, which is important. So when people are looking for a phone system for their medical practice, they, uh, you know, reasonably assume that anything that they're doing over the phone is going to fall under HIPAA. So we get a lot of questions about are you providing a HIPAA compliant phone line or a HIPAA compliant phone? I think that's probably a a major question. Would you agree, Melvin?
0: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Because I think part of it is, you know, I, I do think a lot of providers are very are very knowledgeable about HIPAA, but like I think sometimes the way the questions are worded, it's almost like I need to get a HIPAA compliant fax or I like there actually exists a phone that is HIPAA compliant, if that makes sense.
1: It completely does, and I'm glad you uh, you phrased it that way too. This idea of a, a HIPAA compliant this or a HIPAA compliant that, or the idea that something innately is or is not HIPAA compliant, mm. is probably the first stumbling block that a lot of people hit. Mm. Probably the easiest analogy is thinking of cars. There are cars that are street legal and cars that are not street legal. But you can take a car that is street legal and drive it very illegally. You know, mm. you can you can go buy a, a you know a new Prius or whatever and drive it 90 well maybe not a Prius I don't know exactly but uh (laughs) you can drive it illegally and then you know if you get pulled over the defense can't be well this is a street legal car it's the same way that you can have uh you know a secure messaging app that says it's HIPAA compliant, but if you use it in a way that's against the regulation, it's still not going to be compliant. And you know, HIPAA itself is fairly vague on many things. And if you follow its tenets, you can use almost anything in a HIPAA compliant way or almost anything in a way that is not HIPAA compliant. So when it specifically comes to the phone and the fax, things get even more interesting because there are specific carve-outs when it comes to what is considered electronic protected health information that mean, you know, because the interesting thing, if you think about it, is most of our communications over the phone now are going to be digitized. Mm. In fact, probably all of them. And you really can't control that if you, you know, get a phone line or a cell phone or that kind of thing. I think we all know that as soon as our voice, you know, leaves our little handset, it's going to be digitized and sent over a variety of cell towers and satellites and, you know, digital communication lines. So if, with the strict interpretation, you'd think that everything you say, that involves individually identifiable health information through the phone is going to count as uh, ePHI and be subject to the full force of the security rule, which includes the requirements for encryption and that kind of thing. And that's where people come up with this notion of, ooh, I should probably get a phone that's HIPAA compliant.
0: So it sounds like what you're actually arguing is so that's not actually the correct interpretation. Is that right?
1: Yes, because there's a very specific carve out for this in uh, HIPAA, and I have just pulled it up. One second. So they say, this is direct from HHS, certain transmissions, including of paper via facsimile and of a voice via telephone are not considered to be transmissions via electronic media, which is a defining characteristic of EPHI, mm. back to the quote, mm. if the information being exchanged did not exist in electronic form immediately before the transmission. So that's key because it means if you're speaking into something, that's your voice. It's not an electronic form. Immediately as you're making that transmission, it is uh, specifically carved out and will not count as electronic PHI. So, for basic phone functionality or fax functionality, you don't actually have to be burdened by the, the protections that are in the uh, HIPAA security rule. So, that's the first important thing to understand. When we get asked, you know, I need a HIPAA compliant phone line, that's kind of answer one is like, well, I mean, if y- you know what you're doing is talking, then really any phone is HIPAA compliant. So, that, that was a first kind of major interesting point there. And I wrote fairly extensively about this in a blog and with all the citations. In any, in all that, if if anyone's thinking this sounds a little uh, uh, too good to be true, so yeah, if you... <laughs> no, I'll definitely
0: link to that, David, because I think you're right. Like, I think it would be good for you know all of us to kind of read through, and not that we don't trust you, we trust you, but you know, I think <laughs> just to get because I, I think there is just, I think in general, I mean, HIPAA is complicated, and I think the interpretation of it can definitely get complicated as well. So.
1: Yeah, and I think trust but verify is a great principle when it comes to anyone's advice (laughs) on HIPAA.
0: So you're saying, like, talking over the phone is not covered, I guess technically not under the umbrella of HIPAA.
1: One important distinction, it's still under HIPAA, but it's not under the security rule, meaning that the specific requirements for electronic PHI, the various things about data auditing and logging and encryption and all the things that are specific to electronic PHI, that it's not under. The general principles of privacy and minimum necessary and all the other big picture HIPAA things are still there. But in terms of the technical bits, which is what's in the security rule, those are not in, in action.
0: Got it. So I'm going to ask this question because I feel like a lot of clinicians do this, which is they have a cell phone with their number and they usually have like Google Voice, right? That's the app. So Google Voice is not, it's, I could see that as digital, Right. So I guess kind of explained through that. So is that covered under HIPPO or is that?
1: Yeah, that's a perfect segue question, because the very, very important thing to understand about that quote that I read out earlier is the information has to exist immediately before the transmission, not in electronic form. Mm -hmm. So the, the reality is that most of what we're doing with our phones nowadays involves other things, such as when you miss a call, someone leaves you a voicemail. That is an electronic recording that is going to fall square under the security rule, and that's where you start needing to follow the protections, the encryption and having the business associate agreements and all that kind of stuff, uh, which we can get into. And then phones also store contact books that we've all come to rely on. No one has a cell phone full of just numbers with no names and that kind of thing. So the trick to using something like Google Voice or or just your regular cell phone for PHI in any form is is that it's not the talking that's the issue, it's the other stuff. It's the texting, it's the storing voicemails, it's the storing names and numbers. All of those things are going to be uh, stored in electronic form and fall squarely under electronic PHI and therefore the security rule where you get into the technical requirements.
0: That's fascinating. So when we were talking, one of the things that we had talked about was actually just thinking like really diving really deep into this I'm losing words here but so I wanted to kind of break it down because the reality is you know the average clinician so it's like it's almost like unless you have a phone that doesn't store your outbound calls inbound calls doesn't have a voicemail feature doesn't have the ability like that you don't store the contact information any that that's like Which that's not sort of the reality for most people, right? So
1: Yeah, it's not a very useful phone.
0: Right. So at least in this day (laughs) and (laughs) age. So what I wanted to actually talk about was some of the specifically like related to to smartphones, because I feel like a lot of folks have smartphones now, right? So let's break it down. So let's talk a little bit more about text messaging. And for those of you guys that are listening, this is actually based on an article that David wrote on the Spruce blog, all about just staying HIPAA compliant on our cell phones. And with regard to text messaging, you say that this is a HIPAA disaster zone, which I like love the phrasing. So what exactly does that mean? (laughs)
1: It just means that it's a technology that's going to squarely fall in all its uses under both the privacy and the security rule if you use it for PHI. Mm -hmm. So basically there's no carve out for it like there was that limited exception for voice and fax. It's written form medical information. And it's a technology that was not designed with the correct safeguards. That's the HIPAA buzzword, these safeguards for administrative, technical, physical safeguards. Those are the three main categories. So text messaging is really not going to have any technical safeguards. So, And the other thing is whoever is supplying it to you, you do not have what HIPAA refers to as written assurances. Mostly we're familiar with that as a business associate agreement. You likely have not signed a business associate agreement with the various parties that are enabling your texting, whether it's you texting other providers or you texting patients. So you don't have the technical safeguards. You don't have the administrative ones, which would be the BAA that I'm referring to. Uh, There's really nothing in your chain of uh, technology that's gonna be HIPAA compliant there. There are ways to use regular texting in a HIPAA compliant way, but it, it comes down to your patient basically demanding to use it for their health information and saying that they're aware of the risks and still preferring that method. That's an interesting thing, too. I think I had mentioned earlier that anything can potentially be HIPAA compliant. It's just some things are harder to get there. And patient preference is huge under the law. If you have a savvy patient who understands the potential technical limitations and risks of standard SMS text messaging, and says that that's how they want to receive their health communication, and that is something that's feasible for your practice, then you know it could be the sort of thing you want to get in informed face-to-face writing or that kind of thing, especially with the sensitive nature of the information that therapists are dealing with. But if that's really the way the patient wants to be reached, it can be HIPAA compliant.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting that the sort of the onus falls on the, the client, which, I mean, it makes sense, but it's interesting when you've phrased it that way. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is that it's only going to be looked on favorably if you also support something like a secure texting. So I think, honestly, in in 2017, it's the type of thing where you should really bias your spell, yourself, especially in therapy, to get a, an easy to use, secure messaging platform and advocate for that. And if a patient is really you know being stubborn about it and wants to use standard text messaging, my advice is that it's okay, just document that and make sure that you made them aware of the security risks and that you offered them this more secure alternative and they acknowledged but turned it down.
0: David, I think before we go further, I feel like we've been throwing around this term PHI. And I feel like a lot of folks have questions around this. But what exactly like constitutes PHI? So I would think like, I don't know, this might be a, like a really silly question. But like, I would imagine like, whatever they're related to their clinical presentation, that stuff is obviously PHI. But does things like phone numbers, or like first name, last name, like address, like what's all under that PHI umbrella?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, a general answer, and then sort of a, a more specific answer for certain things. Let's go with the, the general one first. The fact that you know, most people listening to this are providing a very specific service within mental health means that almost anything that identifies someone as a patient of yours in any capacity is going to count as PHI, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because knowing that someone is accessing mental health services is something that is immediately in itself health information. Mm. Like if you're an urgent care clinic or something and you're, you know, sending out announcements about flu shots that may not rise to the level of protected health information. Cause you know, we all get flyers in the mail from the local urgent care or this and that. Mm. But If you have anything that can link someone to you as being your patient in a more specific health field, such as mental health, that's probably going to rise to the level of PHI, which means that it doesn't have to be just a text specifically where you're asking someone about, you know, symptoms of mania or depression or something like that. It can be even more trivial things like confirming appointments or or things like that.
0: So, the first thing is sort of navigating with our cell phones is text messaging. The second one is the camera role i so, I feel like maybe this applies less to mental health providers, but I could definitely see where this applies but and I was wondering if you could sort of clarify like how our cam you know the the photos we store on our phone might impact all of this.
1: yeah, absolutely. So anything that you store as a picture, if it rises to the level of p h i which I'll talk about in one second it can absolutely be a HIPAA violation because you're storing health information in electronic form. So that's gonna bring in the privacy rule and the security rule. And if you're not doing it in an environment that was designed to have the administrative safeguards like a BAA or the technical safeguards like encryption, then it's gonna be hard to be HIPAA compliant with that. HIPAA does enumerate 18 possible identifiers that if they're absent from a record, it can be considered not PHI any longer. So uh, those are called the safe harbor criteria. Mm -hmm. I linked to them out of the article, so I won't enumerate them all here. But a lot of them are things like date of birth and other things like that. So if you have a photo that doesn't have any text in it, you get away from most of those, but not all of them. And the other PHI defining criterion is full face photographs and any comparable images. That's the quote from HHS. They don't define comparable images anywhere that I've been able to find. But in my opinion, what they're getting at is that any photograph that's as identifiable as a full face photograph would be. So to me, that would be a notable physical feature like a tattoo or or some other, you know, like a medical finding. But if your photos don't have any of that and can't be tracked back to a specific person, then it may not rise to the level of PHI, in which case you could use the camera roll. But... I think it's a much better bet rather than trying to look at everything you're taking a picture of and framing it perfectly so that it doesn't have any of that sort of thing. Just don't take pictures outside of an app that is designed to avoid your camera roll and store things securely. And that goes not just for pictures of physical findings, which is going to be less relevant to mental health. But, you know, at least for me, when I practice in the uh, emergency department and whatnot, various practitioners always want to be, you know, texted a picture of this or that information or or whatnot. So I don't like doing that. And I would advise not to do that unless you have an app system in place that's going to, you know, store and transmit everything in a HIPAA compliant way.
0: So I guess for mental health providers, I think that one example that keeps coming to my mind is like, let's say someone has like, you forget to give a super bill or something to a client, right? And so then they're right. like texting you and they're like, hey, can you give me a super bill? And so something like that, where it's got their name, information, diagnosis, stuff that, you know, like a logical thing would be you take a picture of it and send it as a text, like that should be like a big no-no.
1: Yeah, if I had to design something in a lab to violate HIPAA, it would probably be a picture of a super bill. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would absolutely have all the wrong information to be uh, taking a picture of and then sending out.
0: Got it. So the third one we talk about is, uh, or you mentioned in the article, is uh, non-secure Wi-Fi.
1: Yeah, that goes in general for transmission of things. If you're using email or something else, a lot of modern services have you know good encryption between you and your mail server, mm-hmm. and that'll make it less relevant what sort of Wi-Fi you're on. But if you're on a public Wi-Fi, especially one that's using either no encryption or older encryption, it can be the type of thing where you should assume that your transmissions can be snooped on a bit. And that's if you're connecting to an email or something else where you don't have TLS in place. So that's a type of a transmission layer security. It's the little lock icon in a modern browser, in the uh, modern web browser. I'm assuming you're checking you know, Gmail or something through your web browser. If you see the little lock and secure, there's a transmission security protocol in place for a modern computer, modern web browser in a modern service like Gmail it's probably going to be an advanced one like a high enough version of TLS but again I you know I feel myself trying to avoid this jargon and it's hard to the government has specific standards for the type of encryption and whatnot that are necessary and it's it's above what I would expect most people in medicine to have a clear grasp on and I don't think that all of us going and looking up TLS and cipher suites for encryption is probably the way we want to go with this it's just the Mm -hmm. type of thing where instead as a rule of thumb you should pick a secure you know service that you're connecting to whether it's for your EMR or if you're using email or secure messaging or whatever it is if you're doing this in public it's better Not perfect, but better if the Wi-Fi hotspot you're connecting to has some type of encryption. You know, a higher one here. Here comes some more jargon. WPA2 or that kind of thing are, are better than the old standards. WEP, again, not something you have to burden yourself with, but it's better if it's more modern protocol and then use a service that is designed for medical stuff. That's my advice there. Because they're going to have made sure that their connection to you is secure. It's secure with something like TLS at a, you know advanced enough version. And that's going to. And, you know, if you've worked for a bigger hospital system, they have these virtual private networks, VPNs. You'll recognize it even if you don't know the technical bit. You'll recognize it by being sort of an annoying separate app you have to download and run and, and log into like five different ways before it lets you see patient information. The reason they're doing that is because they're setting up a secure tunnel between your computer and the hospital's information network because the people who built that don't trust the coffee shop Wi-Fi that you're on. So if you're doing your own little thing, I would say you don't have to go as far as that sort of thing, but you should be using a service that is designed for medicine because they will have considered that you might be connecting to it on insecure Wi-Fi. So to recap that, I don't think you should go look up all the different encryption standards and try to learn about, you know, Wi-Fi and all that other stuff. But you should pick a technical service that is going to.
0: Right, that is specifically catered toward the nuances that we have in the healthcare field.
1: Yeah, perfect. which is that it matters if someone can snoop.
0: So the next one is the contact list on our phone. I feel like this is somewhat common where, you know, if For example, I guess let me ask related to this. So if you store like initials and a phone number, is that sort of violating? Not
1: necessarily. It depends because information can be synergistic. If you store a phone number and initials and then you're texting with the person or they've left a Mm -hmm. voicemail that has other information, it can be enough to figure things out. Depends on Who has access to the information? There are cases where it may not be. It depends what you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. If you are just using it for voice calls, then it may not rise to the level of PHI. But uh, one of the things that I talk about in the article is that having the numbers in your phone, especially if it's your cell phone, especially if you're using that contact list with other apps, and super especially if those apps are social media apps, may be a problem. Reason being is that many of us have Facebook or Twitter or other social media accounts where we have our phone number as part of the verification process and they keep it as part of our profile. And then those sites are building social networks and they always ask to look at your contact list as a way of putting you in touch with people that you know which is is convenient but if you are a common link between a number of otherwise random phone numbers being your patients the social network is going to rightly realize if it looks at your contact book that you and all your patients form a web in which your patients are a step removed from each other and so there are news reports uh some of which i linked to in that article Of, you know, the, you know, mutual patients of the same therapist or psychiatrist being suggested to each other as contacts on a social network because, yeah, someone gave access to the contact list on the phone. So that to me is, is the bigger issue. I wouldn't store patient contacts in a regular contact list for that reason alone. I want them separate from the prying eyes of other apps, basically. That's
0: the bigger issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm so glad you just said that because like something clicked for me, which is like, I remember a while ago in the Selling the Couch, like Facebook community, there was some like conversation around like, why does Facebook like suggest people that maybe even be potential clients? And I think that's probably what happened, right? There was some connection between the cell phone, the contacts and the, and to make that suggestion.
1: Yeah, I think that's very likely. I mean, to us, a phone number with initials may look like random nothingness, but it sure does not to Facebook.
0: Right. There's two more. And then so the first one is you said our phones can be stolen.
1: Yeah, when I mentioned the safeguards earlier, HIPAA makes a big deal repeatedly out of administrative safeguards, which is like BAAs, technical safeguards, that's things like encryption, and then physical safeguards. This is the one where it doesn't matter how good your other stuff is if someone nicks your phone while you're walking and starts flipping through stuff, that's an issue and cell phones are, you know, the definition of stealable. They're lightweight, they're high value. And there's a liquid market for them. So you have to keep in mind that, you know, your mobile phone, if you're using it to store a bunch of protected health information, even if it's encrypted, can still be a HIPAA liability for you.
0: And the last one is the cloud.
1: Yeah, to keep this one short, there is no cloud. This is one of my favorite quotes. It's just somebody else's computer. When you say you're storing data in the cloud, that just means you're storing it off of your device. That can actually be great for something like a cell phone. Uh, To get back to the previous point, if you're not storing PHI on it, that reduces your exposure there if it gets stolen or lost or that kind of thing. However, if you're not storing PHI on the device, you're storing it somewhere else. And it's important to know where that is and to make sure that it's a HIPAA compliant service that's taking into account the preciousness and importance of that data and is signing a BAA with you and respecting all the technical and other safeguards that are necessary under HIPAA. So just remember there's no cloud, it's just somebody else's computer and you got to make sure that that they're doing right by you.
0: David, I will definitely link to this article because I I feel like we could probably talk quite a while about this stuff. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm grateful that we had this time together. I feel like this site, navigating this world of smartphones is just, it adds a different level of complexity when it comes to HIPAA.
1: Yeah, it really does. And honestly, you know, sometimes it's fun to get in the weeds about this. And I'm happy to talk to whoever has questions about HIPAA and answer specific ones. But usually the easiest path for most people is to get a company, you know, on your side who understands this stuff and just use their tools. Yeah. be in their ecosystem.
0: Right. Well, great segue. <laughs> so uh, tell <laughs> us, uh, you know, before you leave, tell us a little bit about Spruce and some of the awesome things you guys are doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and not shockingly, we are one of those companies, and you're not the only one, but I'm proud of what we do. We started as a direct-to-patient telemedicine company, you know, three and a half, four years ago, and we developed a lot of our own internal platform to be able to communicate with our providers and our patients and, and do everything in a HIPAA-compliant way, and then You know, well, two ish years ago, we opened that for other medical practices so that they could use all the things that we had built and were using internally. So we support a a large telephony stack. You can, you know, through our apps that run on web and Android and iOS, you can get second phone lines for your practice that disguise your number. They store your contacts securely. They store and transcribe the voicemails securely. There's all sorts of team communication if you have front office staff so you can discuss patient matters really easily. It is stored in our you know secure health cloud so nothing's going to be left on your device and none of it interacts with your other apps and there's no chance of that. All those acronyms that I was bandying about earlier like TLS and whatnot, we're, we're uh, very careful with those and we have a, a very tight sort of HIPAA administrative process too. We'll sign BAAs with you and then we support a variety of different types of telemedicine as well well. We just consider that another modality within communications. So if you want to do video visits or or interactive questionnaires with your patients, we do all that. So in a nutshell, all of the care that you want to occur outside of the physical walls of your office in a HIPAA compliant, secure way, all of your patient and team communications, that's where we want to be. That's what we're doing at Spruce these days.
0: Awesome. Really, I'm grateful for the work you guys are doing. Uh, David, thank you again for doing this.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Melvin. I I love talking HIPAA. Hopefully it wasn't as dry as what we all get in HIPAA training every year.
0: (laughs) No, no, not at all. You are uh, a source (laughs) of entertainment when it comes to a topic that uh, can be quite boring.
1: (laughs) It absolutely can. (laughs) Uh, Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Melvin. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Hello there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with David and... I hope that it's giving you just some different things to think about as you navigate, as we all navigate this world of smartphones and wanting to protect the confidentiality and the privacy of our clients and also just wanting to stay legal when it comes to the work that we do. So one of the things that I have loved about Selling the Couch Growing is getting to meet with awesome companies and the founders and co-founders of awesome companies. And uh, the team over at Spruce was actually so gracious and offered us a discount off of their services. And so if you guys just go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash spruce, that applies a 20% discount code for the entire first year. And they actually created a specific page for couchies uh, that you guys can explore some of the work that they do and how they might be a part of your private practice. You can find show notes and definitely some of the article that, well, not some of the article, the article that David mentioned over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 147. And as we wrap up, I'm actually recording this episode in November of 2017. And if things go according to plan, Uh, The Selling the Couch directory is live, and you can find more about it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Without getting too much into it, the directory just came from this dream of wanting to provide a resource for us as providers in practice and private practice to be able to connect and cross-refer and collaborate at a much bigger level. And Yeah, and it came from that dream. And the directory has actually multiple components. It has a community component. It also has the directory itself. And then it has a learning library, which is basically videos with private practitioners and other experts in terms of how they built their practices. So think of it like the podcast, but much more in depth and uh, questions that I didn't want to ask in a public forum like a podcast. But uh, it lots of wisdom there and hope you'll be able to check it out. Again, you can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. The Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and of investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want, and uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most, like, heart-centered folks that I've ever met, and you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven- financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable. And uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, thank you again.
1: Bye. Thanks for listening to the selling the couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.